right, hallelujah. So today I'm going to be reading out of John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Most of us are familiar in some ways with this story. Uh, John chapter 8, now starting at verse 1. John chapter 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had sat her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. In the very act, verse 5, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This, they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him of. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Verse 7 says, so when they continued asking, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, I'm sorry, and was standing with the woman in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. All right. Continuing our series of endurance, I want to minister to you on the subject, enduring at the margins. Enduring at the margins. Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my God, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So they told me because, you know, uh, I want to I want to give a shout out to all of our folks down in Harlem. I love you guys. I miss you all. We, we've been meeting in the park uh, for the over the last couple of weeks and months. And so usually when I have to come up here on assignment, we have to cancel our service. Um, and so I want to give a shout out to them just for their uh, flexibility and them understanding and allow me to come up here and to hang out with our family um, in New Milford. Amen. So I remember when I was in the third grade, I had this teacher, Miss Brown. Love Miss Brown. She was my English and my my writing teacher. Uh, Miss Brown's class, we had to learn how to write correctly in our notebooks, understanding what the different lines and the colors were for. There were the horizontal blue lines. Remember those? All right. And then you had the vertical lines. Red lines. The red lines were on either side, and they represented the the margins. The left side of the paper had a hard, obvious, dark red line, while the right side had a red line, but in most cases, it was a, it was a much lighter red line. It was barely visible. Um, the purpose of these vertical lines, the, these margins served as a, as a proper starting and acceptable stopping point. Y'all with me so far? Oddly enough, when this notebook paper initially was printed, both lines were were dark red. But over the course of history, for reasons for which I am not certain, the right side of the margin over time got lighter and lighter to the point that it has almost disappeared in notebooks all 
together. I went shopping for a trip. My, my five-year-old son started kindergarten, and I'm picking up notebooks. He had to have a composition notebook, and I'm looking at it, and I'm seeing how much the notebooks change. I just see one, one red line. So, so, so that, that right line is the one that's problematic or that was problematic for me. The right side of the margin in Ms. Brown's class was always problematic because I, was, I wasn't short on ideas to pin or words to express. The right side was problematic because as I was writing my story, I knew where to start. That was easy. But as I would fill up the lines with my words, I would get closer and closer to that, that left margin. And I had some decisions to make. I had to determine if the words that I was using were going to be able to fit within the margin or if I was going to have to skip to the next line. But for a creative person like myself, there was a third option. The third option from Ms. Brown, though, was problematic. The third option involved me uh, uh, jumping over or, or spilling over the margin. Just by a few letters, you know, uh, with the word to creep across the margin. Just, just a little bit. Well, Ms. Brown was never too thrilled when I ventured out past the margin. Her red pen stayed at the ready, circling the words that violated the margins. Throughout my young academic years, this became a great sense of stress for me. Until one day, my fourth grade teacher, Miss Foster, who had a crush on, by the way. Uh, remember that, that show, Designing Women, Pastor Frank? And the, the secretary, she was Charlene. Remember Charlene? She was, she, Miss Foster looked just like, well, I, let me, I'm going, let me digress a little bit. I'm, let me get back to my, my story here. But I, but I, but I had a crush on Miss Foster. Um, my fourth grade teacher, Miss Foster, set me free from the shame of my habitual tendency to get too close, dare I say, cross over the margin. The juxtaposition was strange to me. I, I was perplexed by it until one day I had to ask Miss Foster, Miss Foster, why do, don't you ever take any points off my grade when I go over the margin? Her response was, and I quote, that margin is of little importance. It is the left margin that matters the most. You still with me? The margins, which is the, the edge or the border of a thing. Believe it or not, our life consists of margins. They're borders that are similar to the history of the notebook paper. Our lives have a sort of obvious margin. And on the other side there, there's an area that we, we've allowed to be a bit more vague and less obvious. And get a margin nonetheless. But for the most part, everything within the realm of these margins make for a relatively good light. See, I've been given margins even up here as I, as I deliver this word. I was told by the production staff not to venture out past the speakers. So I've got my own margins to adhere to. Margins, the, the, the margins of our lives, the nice neat areas and paradigms we build for ourselves. Usually one side is clear cut and obvious. It creates a sort of starting point, a set of principles that we live our life by. You're still with me? Say amen. If I were to label this margin, the left side of the margin, I would call it the absolute margin. The absolute margin. And I would define it by this. The starting point whereby we establish the paradigms and the principles we live by. The absolute margin. Examples of absolute margins don't kill. It's an absolute margin. You know, no matter how angry I get, I'm not going to kill you. 
Don't steal. It's an absolute margin. For God and for country, if you're an American, that's an absolute margin. For men, we don't eat boneless wings. There's no such thing. It's an absolute margin. There's no such thing as a bone. Come on, fellas. Amen. There's no such thing as an absolute margin. It's a chicken nugget. That's what it is. It's not, it's not even a real thing. Boneless wings. If your boyfriend or your husband eats, orders boneless wings, you need to, you need to look at them a little sideways. There's no, no boneless wings. Absolute margin. Self-accountability. It's an absolute margin. For, for most of us, these are non-negotiables that we live our life by. Sort of the essence of who we are, our principles, self-evident truths. The left margin, the absolute margin. But then there's the, the right margin. And, and, and if you'll indulge me, I'd like to call this margin the mean margin. The mean margin. And I would define this as the seasons where my absolutes will be questioned and tested. The mean margins, the seasons where my absolutes will be questioned and tested. Well, everybody makes it to the mean margin at some point in time in your life. The mean margin, the the sliding scale of your morality, the sliding scale of your faith, the sliding scale of your life. Everybody makes it to the mean margin. There are three main ways you make it to the mean margin. One, you can be born into the mean margin. You can be born at the mean margin. You can be born across the margin. We call that the marginalized. Treated or seen as insignificant or peripheral. Another way you can get to the mean margin is you can choose the mean margin. We call that sin. And then there's a third way you can get to the mean margin. And that's when the mean margin chooses you. We call that life. Sometimes life just happens. You're minding your own business, abiding by absolute truth, abiding by morality, honoring God in all your ways, and letting him direct your path. And then all of a sudden, you get the call, you're laid off of your job. The mean margins. You get the call from the doctor, the terminal illness, what you feared most has come. The mean, the mean margins. With this as a backdrop, Pastor Frank has shared with us how we can endure in these uncertain times. But today, I'd like to share with us why we must endure when when life takes us to the margins. In the text, we see Jesus doing Jesus things. He was outside at the Mount of Olives doing his social distancing outdoor service. When all of a sudden the scribes and the Pharisees come in with this woman who they claim they caught in the act of adultery. Right out of the gate we see Jesus, we see righteous people doing self-righteous things at self-serving times. I'll say that again. Right out of the gate we see righteous people doing self-righteous things at self-serving times. These wise and scholarly men of God, these men who are so beholden to Mosaic law, are so appalled by the sin of this woman that they are willing to interrupt Jesus while he's teaching. 
They are willing to interrupt the people who came to sit and hear the master teach. To serve justice to the woman for her sin of adultery. No, 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 no. I'm afraid that's not even why they came. You see, these men had an axe to grind with Jesus for reasons unrelated to the sin of this woman. How do we know this? Well, the text tells us in verse 6, they said, they, that, that, that they said this is the test him, hoping they would have grounds for accusing them. This quickly brings us to the first thing I'd like to highlight in this story that sticks out right away. Margins reveal motives. Margins reveal motives. In life, we have to be willing to endure being lied on, being labeled, and even being liable. What they accused the woman of was true. They had her debt to rights, but she never hear the woman pleading her case. She never was saying, well, what about, what, about, what about the man I was in the bed with? Because based upon Mosaic law, in the case of adultery, both the man and the woman were supposed to be stoned. But sometimes you have to be willing to endure and hold your peace and let the Lord fight your battles. Margins reveal motives. But what could the scribes and the Pharisees issue with Jesus, the son of God, be? I'm glad you asked that question. Well, first of all, they were jealous of Jesus. Jesus was getting all the love from the marginalized. Because you got to remember back in the day, there was no middle class. There were the haves and the have-nots. There was no middle class. So Jesus hung out with marginalized people. Second reason they didn't like Jesus was because he exposed them. He exposed the scribes and the Pharisees. They pretended to be righteous and morally upstanding. And Jesus called them out for the whitewashed tombs they were. Clean on the outside, but dead on the inside. And the third reason they had an issue with Jesus was because they were afraid. Afraid that Jesus represented the end of their power and influence within the Jewish community. So we see more clearly why they were coming to try and trip Jesus up. But guess what, y'all? Jesus wasn't having it. The story continues in verse 5. Moses in the law commands that such should be stoned. But what do you say, Jesus? They once again are attempting to hold Jesus hostage at the margins in the hope that he will respond in such a manner that will place him outside of the margin of Jewish society. You see, if they can get him to say no, they shouldn't stone her, then they can order him to be arrested for violating Mosaic law. And yet if he sanctions the stoning, it will call into question his authenticity of being any different from the current system of oppression, judgment, and unattainable righteousness through works. Are you following me? But what they failed to realize is that Jesus knew how to endure and navigate the margins because it was where Jesus did his best work. This brings me to my second point. Margins manifest ministries. Margins manifest 
ministries. It was at the margins of society Jesus healed the blind man. It was at the margins of society Jesus called the lame man to walk. It was at the margins of society where Jesus took some fish and fed a bunch of people. Jesus was born on the margins of society. He was called to the poor, the sick, the outcast, the unwanted. Some of the greatest ministries in the world started at the margins. The church is called to the margins. Matthew 25 says, for I was hungry and thirsty and you did nothing. I was a stranger and I needed clothes and you did nothing. I was sick and in prison and you did nothing. I was pregnant out of wedlock, scared and confused and you did nothing. I was a victim of racism and you did nothing. I was sexually assaulted by someone you knew and you did nothing. I was molested by a family member and you did nothing. They asked him, Lord, when did we do these things? Jesus said, when you did it, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you've also done it to me. When you didn't stand up to those who couldn't, for those who couldn't stand up for themselves, that's where, and that's when. In other words, ministry isn't reserved for the deserving. It should be there for all those who are weary and heavy laden. Ministry is manifested at the margins. But not only is ministry manifested at the margins, margins refresh our memory. Our memory is refreshed at the margins. Verse 7 said, so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the stone at her first. Verse 9 says, then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the eldest, even to the last. When I was reading this, I thought about the old Michael Jackson song. Do you remember the time? I'm sorry, I'm working on my, I'm still working on my soul salvation, y'all. Anybody under 30 will appreciate what I'm about to say next, y'all. Jesus is savage. He's savage the way that he's handling this situation. Paul told Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among who I am foremost. Paul never forgot how full his sin cup was. He always acknowledged that we're all working out our soul's salvation. And even if I'm in right standing with God today, thanks be to God, because I remember when I wasn't. And so the confrontation of sin shouldn't be one of shame, guilt, and judgment. But instead, it should be of humility, compassion, and empathy. Why? Because I remember when I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But it was the master of the sea who heard my despairing cry. And from the waters, he lifted me. Now safe am I. So I have to be willing to hang out and hang around and endure the margin so I can remember what he brought me out of. What he brought me through. What he brought me over. And I can be reminded that without the grace of God. I could be right back here. I'm almost done. My fourth reason why we have to endure the margins. Because the margins make us more like Jesus. The margins make us more like Jesus. The beautiful thing about tension in life 
and I've said this before, trouble reveals who your source is. Trouble reveals what your source is. In other words, when you, when you, when you go through something, when you get horrible news, when you get that call, what's the first thing you do? Do you call your girlfriend? Girl, can you believe what happened to me? And nah, 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 nah. And nah, 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 nah. he's told me this. And I said, girl. You... Or do we get on our knees and pray? That's the first thing instinctively that we turn to do when trouble finds us. All of us and the stories of our lives, when we're starting at that absolute place, we're writing the stories. Inevitably, we come to the margin. And Jesus is asking, what are you going to do at the margin? Who are you going to be when you're presented with the opportunity to represent me in your trouble? When you have the opportunity to, to, to represent me in someone else's trouble. Because in our own righteousness, we all deserve death. In our own goodness, we all deserve death. But we're all called, we're all called to be like Jesus. And if I'm honest with myself, there have been times in my life at the margins where I've been the woman who's been guilty of being stoned. If I'm being honest with myself, I've been the scribe and the Pharisee ready to throw the stone. But if I'm being honest with myself, I'm called to be Jesus Christ in these situations. And so in this season that we're in check your heart when you're going back and forth and having conversations about politics and policy check your heart because at the end of the day guys are going to ask you who you voted for he's going to ask you who'd you love Who'd you love? Heaven and earth will pass away. Who saw Jesus when they saw you? Who experienced Jesus when they saw you? A few days ago, and I'm done. A few days ago, um, Chadwick Boseman, uh, he was known primarily for the actor who played the Black Panther. Um, he passed away. Um, to all of us, it was sudden, but to him, it was a four-year journey. He learned that he had been diagnosed with colon cancer in 2016, right at the point of him starting to film uh, and record the, the Black Panther. What was amazing to him, and he was a believer, he was a believer, uh, what was amazing about his story is that no one knew. Chadwick, the last four years of his life, he spent it at the margin. He spent it at the margin, being about his father's business, 
He spent it at the margin, pouring and showing unconditional love to people. Because at the margins, y'all, life gets real. At the margins, it's difficult to stay in control. Let's be like Jesus at the margins. Let's be like Jesus to a world that is telling us that we've got to pick sides. Let's be like Jesus. If you want to see revival in America, somebody's got to be like Jesus. Jesus.